Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to The Catch with John Fisher on Blog Talk Radio, connecting life to faith. We're just trying to get it together, trying to help the fellow man, hoping we can make We're back for part two of uh, our interview with Kristen Dumay, uh, author of Jesus and John Wayne, How White Evangelicals Corrupted a Faith and Fractured a Nation. Uh, we were talking uh, last about the political involvement of Christians. And I, I wanted to ask you, Kristen, one thing, because I'm... Uh, as good as our intentions have been in doing this, is it not possible that something something sinister may have crept in here where we are ultimately selfish? And this is what I'm thinking. To, to try and create a society that we want um, without helping people come to Christ, that's my big concern. Uh, do we want a Christian nation more than we want Christian to become people to become Christians? Because in the process of trying to politically bring about Christian values and culture, are we not, in a sense, making enemies of the trying to save? Or Jesus wants us to bring the good news of the gospel to what? What would you say about that? Yeah, you know, just uh, a few days ago, I got a letter from a reader who shared with me just how discouraging the last two years have been and how much Jesus and John Wayne helped him make sense of things, of the things that he was experiencing, what he was seeing around him, and uh, and his despair. And he ended that letter by saying, you know, I I thought what Christians are supposed to do is, is to say, come and see, and mm. not obey. And I thought that that has just stuck with me uh, since I read that letter. I keep coming back to that, that, you know, to, to be, to, to be a Christian and, and uh, a Christian in a pluralist society, it seems to me that what we do is we point to Christ. We point to this story of redemption and that has to be our starting place. And that has to remain our focus. And if we start trying to legislate and if we start, start trying to just force other people who who haven't seen what we've seen, who don't hold to the same values uh, or, or, or don't have the same kind of core animating values, then, then that's only going to push people away. And, um, mm-hmm. and, and that doesn't seem to be the way of Christ, certainly not, you know, as we, yeah. as we see in the Gospels. Do you think there's hope that we might be able to unravel this? And get back to what uh, I don't. I, I don't know. I don't know honestly because it, we're in pretty deep right now, and it doesn't look to be going in a good direction. This sort of mm. tribalism and these echo chambers, and mm. uh, you know, certain p- folks wield a lot of power, and they're very well organized. And frankly, I'm a little concerned. I'm more than a little concerned right now about um, the mm. health of our democracy, 
and the role that conservative Christians are playing in destabilizing it right now. I'll, I'll be that blunt. Um, that said, as a historian, I can also say that uh, you never know what's around the corner. Uh, that history surprises us, and and we just don't know what's next. But I do think we're in a we're in a, a serious and even perilous moment right now. Yeah. Well. Uh, your last statement leads me to a, a, a question I wanted to talk to you about, and that is, uh, you know, because you, you know, your sub, your your subtitle had two two comments about corrupting a faith and fracturing a nation. And fracturing a nation, you mentioned, was was why this book is important for um, Americans, not just Christians. And um, uh, given that, what do you? How involved do you think uh, uh what's my question <laughs> um, the issues how much of the issues you raise in your book do you think play into January six what happened at the white house at at the capitol building yeah, you know first off, most white evangelicals were not storming the capitol, and people who were storming the capitol were not all white evangelicals. And, and so mm-hmm. put that out there. Okay. Okay. Um, but at the same time, there, there, uh, there has long been this kind of embrace of an us versus them mentality, uh, militarism, this commitment to the ends justifying the means, and commitment to using violence to bring order or righteous violence. And so what I saw in white evangelical communities on January 6th and in the days and weeks and months uh, was um, not or very rarely an outright endorsement of that violence. First, there was a denial. This isn't us. This was Antifa. And then that faded after a few days. And then I, I heard either silence, so not condemning what had taken place, or well, I don't condone violence, but, and then what follows ends up justifying what took place. And that actually concerns me quite a bit. And that's what I have my eye on. So, you know, in in this moment, it's not just those who are perpetrating, but, uh, you know, bystanders, those who are enabling, those who are tacitly condoning, those who are not saying this is not okay. And I think the majority of evangelicals, or at least a large number of white evangelicals, I would put in that group of, of not standing up and not drawing some lines and saying, mm. even though I'm on your side in this or that, I'm going to draw a line here. Mm. Mm. Uh, Kristen, did you have to say white evangelical? <laughs> and why did you choose that to do that? <laughs> Absolutely, I did. Um, I mean, a, a title, subtitle is really hard. There's a lot of constraints um, placed upon, and, and it has to be mm-hmm. short. And actually, at one point in the naming process, my uh, publisher came back and said, you need to use the phrase white evangelicals in the title. And that was a super easy yes for me, because that's who I'm talking about. And uh, if you look at every, you know, every survey that we, we have available to us, essentially, the whiteness of evangelicals is, is really critical, that we are talking about a distinctive group. Historically speaking, we see um, relatively little interaction between white evangelicals and evangelicals um, who are not white. 
And that's where you see dramatic differences in terms of how they interpret their faith, how they apply their faith, and the communities they participate in. And so it's a matter of specificity. I am talking about a particular group, and that group is uh, hmm. largely white. Wow. Wow. Um, what 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 can we is there anything we can can do about this uh, other than live our lives um, as as honestly and lovingly and openly as we can? I, would mm-hmm. you have anything to say to to the, the the average Christian who does not want to go this way but but wants to represent and follow Christ? I actually love how you said that, as honestly and lovingly and openly as possible. And I I think we need all of those three, and we need to hold all of those three together. So we Mm. need to be honest. And I think for too long, too many Christians have not spoken truth. They didn't want to offend friends or family, or they didn't want to alienate members of their church or So there's been a lot of kind of self-censoring in a way that has not been healthy for the church. So honesty is what we need, but this, you know, lovingly also. And we need to be in relationship with others and we need to fight for those relationships. And, Hmm. um, And that can be really hard. So it's one thing to, you know, put something out on Twitter or on Facebook. It's another thing to be in community with people who are different. Uh, And we need to practice, again, bringing that truth and that that community, um, uh, loving community together. And then an openness, and that's that's related to speaking truth. We can't just quietly, um, you know, uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, hold truth. But I think Mm -hmm. in this moment, we need to make clear, again, what what we stand for, where we draw the lines, and where we're going to part ways with our friends, uh, with our fellow Christians, um, because a lot of of kind of stifling of much-needed conversation is done in the name of, quote-unquote, unity of the church, but we do not have unity. And so to pretend that we do ends up just um, stifling truth Mm -hmm. and often oppressing those who have less power. Wow. So we need to bring these things out in the open and talk about them. And uh, we do. Yeah. If we're concerned about something, we need to bring it up. Yeah. um, That's great. Well, uh, one last question, because we uh, we have a lot of of millennials who come and listen to our show or at least are involved with our website. And um, and and we're we're seeking to reach out more and more to millennials and and Gen Z people, which is which would be, uh, I think, your students. Um, mm-hmm. so my question re- involves them. What, what do you say to them? Because in many ways, you know, they are inheriting a situation that they had nothing to do with. And mm-hmm. uh, how do you see them facing into this? Do you see them just pretty much ignoring this? Or where? what are your words to the younger people today? Uh, you know, I do see some uh, a certain level of apathy, um, not complete apathy, but not quite the the level of investment that I might expect of young people who are inheriting this um, very um, problematic uh, mm-hmm. uh, reality. So I would I would say, you know, a couple of things. First, 
um, uh, invest in, pursue relationships with people who are different from you, socioeconomic, um, geographic, racial identity, all of these, these, uh, you know, sexual orientation, mm-hmm. but it's important that we act. There's so many things that are pulling us apart as a society that we have to actively work to reconnect with each other. And so look for ways to do that. But also I would say particularly to millennials and Gen Z, uh, this probably goes against all of your instincts, but I think you need to uh, work to invest in institutions. There's been a lot of kind of, you know, checking out and there's a spiritual, not religious movement. Mm. And I totally get that. And there are reasons for that. But in the end, um, what we're seeing is a lot of younger people and a lot of more progressive types or even more moderate types kind of checking out of institutions and organizations. And honestly, that's where a lot of power is held. And that's where the power to, to shape others and to shape the future is. And so I think we need a lot more investment in uh, institutions and collaborating together, coming together to achieve things that we can't achieve on our own. Mm. Wow, that's a good word, good word. Well, ah, thank you so much. Um, this has been great. I'm, I'm sure this will, uh, if you're willing, will not be the last time. And I, I, you've got a new book you're working on, so uh, how's that coming and when do you think we might see that. <laughs> oh, it's not coming as quickly as I or my editor would like. I think it's fair to say it's been, I'm still very much in the, in the uh, Jesus and John Wayne um, uh, stage in terms of giving interviews uh, every day. But I, uh, that book is called Live, Laugh, Love. And it is a cultural history of white Christian womanhood. And uh, I think we're about two years out from publication. Okay. Well, we will, we will look forward to that. And in the meantime, uh, God bless you as you seek to uh, help us work through this. And um, uh, I just thank you for so much for what you've done and um, pray that, that, that it brings forth fruit. So, thank you. Thank you so much. You bet. God bless. Take care. Yeah. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, folks. We had it in two parts, but, uh, You're listening to The Catch with John Fisher on Programming Here Radio, but, connecting uh, life to faith. Here we go. Have a good book. Really encouraging. Go out John Wayne is all you kind of remember. Um, you can get it anywhere, and uh, it'll pass me. Okay? See you next week. God bless, and bye-bye.